Welcome. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 98. So my friends, this week I am tackling something I've not yet tackled on Star Wars Comics and Canon as of yet, and that is some Star Wars manga. So it is still canon, and it's actually in the High Republic era. So I'm quite excited to talk about this. I think I spoke about it in passing in previous episodes, saying I was planning on doing it. I was going to try and do Edge of Balance Volumes 1 and 2 in one go, but after writing all my notes and things, it's quite clear I'm going to need one episode per volume. So that works out completely fine for me, but but without getting too ahead of myself, let's talk about some of the information around this before I delve into things. And if this is your first time on the show, thank you so much for checking it out. And I will say that I'm going to go through the plot details of this, or well, manga, normally it's a comic, uh, but I'm going to go through the plot details of this release in brief. And then as I go through it, I'm going to tell yourselves some of the connective tissue, such as how it connects to other elements of the High Republic in this scenario, or the wider Star Wars canon, and also a couple of other bits of trivia about species that pop up or planets, those sorts of of things. But before we delve into that, let's get some of the information out of the way about Edge of Balance. So first of all, this is taking place around 231 years before the Battle of Yavin. So this is sort of between the first and second waves of the first phase of the High Republic. So it takes place after Light of the Jedi, Into the Dark, and A Test of Courage, but it seems to take place at the same sort of time as The Rising Storm. So I think it's more so in wave two of the High Republic, but I would say if you haven't read any of the other pieces of High Republic content, this manga does an excellent job at basically slightly alluding to other things that happen without anyone having to read any of it. So if this is your first time delving into the High Republic, fear not. All you need to know is it is set around 200 years before The Phantom Menace. That's just generally speaking when it is set. So this is a manga, not the standard comics that we're used to in the Star Wars canon. So manga is obviously the type of format from Japan primarily, and most anime that exists actually came from manga. The most anime and things I know is like Dragon Ball Z or Naruto, those sorts of things. The manga came first, and I know Attack on Titan is quite popular at the moment. I've seen the first couple of series like that. That also started off as a manga, and my favourite anime ever, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, that also started as one. So manga is incredibly popular. I know over in the UK and the Western world, especially over the last couple of decades, it's become a lot more common, but it started off in Japan. Now, manga is black and white so you get color on the cover and the back so you get a smidge of that but within the pages yeah it, it's just grayscale black and white which initially when i started reading it i was a bit skeptical in some ways but once you get a few pages in you kind of forget your brain kind of feels in the color and i kind of describe it to people who don't want to watch black and white films i say you know when you first see a black and white film when you haven't seen one it can seem kind of jarring because it feels like something's missing but after a couple of minutes of watching it you kind of forget i have taken a couple of photos of this but i want to clarify once again it's in black and white and so so this is the first volume of Edge of Balance. Now, I'm fairly certain that Edge of Balance was initially planned just to be an online digital only release, but 
they released the first issue in World Comic Book Day, from what I recall, because I've actually got issue one in World Comic Book Day. And I read it. I was like, oh, this is quite cool. I thought it was digital only. And then I looked up. I was like, oh, no, they have done a print version of this. So there's two volumes out as of recording this. I imagine the third volume is probably going to take place in the second phase of the High Republic, which is going to be about 150 years before the first phase and before all this sort of stuff. But Edge of Valence Volume 1 was released September 7th, 2021. It is written by Shima Shinya and Justina Ireland. So Justina Ireland will be known from yourselves because she did the A Test of Courage, Out of the Shadows, and Mission to Disaster books, which I've done two of the reviews for those so far, and I'm currently reading Mission to Disaster, so I will be doing a book review of that in the coming weeks. And then the art is done by Mizuki Sakakiribara. Now, in the first volume of Edge of Balance, there is also a bonus chapter at the end called The Bancheans, but I'll delve into that once we get there. So with everything I've just said all in mind, let's get into the manga itself. So we start off with The Crawl. The galaxy celebrates. With the dark days of the hyperspace disaster behind them, Chancellor Lena So pushes ahead with the latest of her great works. The Republic Fair will be her finest hour, a celebration of peace, unity and hope on the frontier world of Valo but an insatiable horror appears on the horizon. One by one, planets fall as the carnivorous Drengir consume all life in their path. As Jedi Master Avar Chris leads the battle against this terror, Nile forces gather in secret for the next stage of Markeon Rose's diabolical plan. Only the noble Jedi Knights stand in Rose Way, but even the protectors of life and light are not prepared for the terrible darkness that lies ahead. Now, some of you may recognize that crawl because it seems to be the crawl they've used for most of the content set around phase one, wave two of the High Republic, so around the rising storm and things. So that's not a unique crawl for this specific release, but it still sets the scene and tells you whereabouts it is set. So it's set just before the rising storm. So let's delve into things. So Edge of Balance Volume 1 starts off with introducing the character called Lily Tora Assi. Now, Lily is a young Jedi Knight, and she was actually seen very briefly in the High Republic Adventures issue number 11. Now, that's in the episode where it's the great Padawan race, when they're kind of running around Starlight Beacon having a bit of fun. I did tackle that a few episodes ago, back in episode 93 of Star Wars Comics and Canon. So if you want to find out more about that, go check out that episode. But I didn't mention Lily in there. But if you haven't listened to that episode, I'd recommend go back and listen to it anyway, because it's a great one. Now, as Edge of Balance is an introduction to this character, I'm not going to give you her whole personal backstory and things, because it kind of unfolds as the plot goes forward, and I don't want to just get ahead of myself too much. But Lily is dreaming of Stellan Geos saving people on the planet of Takla. Now, that planet isn't seen elsewhere, but he's saving people from the Great Emergence or the Great Disaster. It's basically when the hyperspace disaster occurred in Light of the Jedi and pieces of a ship going light speed were flying through the galaxy, hitting planets and killing a lot of people. And so it's just a flash of her seeing some sort of vision of Stellan Geos doing that. Now, Stellan is a central character to the first phase of the High Republic. He features prominently in the three main adult books, Light of the Jedi, The Rising Storm and The Fall and star. So I've done book reviews of all of those. If you're listening on YouTube, you can just check out the playlist of High Republic. If you're listening on the feed of Comics Emotion on any podcast player, just type in Light of the Jedi book review comics, and then it should come up. So it shouldn't be hard to find. So after this vision, Lily awakens in a ship and she hears someone yell out, help me. She opens her eyes, looks around, and she's in the ship with a Wookiee who is called Arkov. Now, Arkov is a Jedi Master. It seems to be he was Lily's Jedi Master 
And then she graduated from being a Padawan and became a full Jedi Knight. I'm fairly certain that is the case. And Arkoff, he speaks in Shriwook. So whenever there's speech bubbles here, you don't just get random like gra noises. You seem to get like actual letters and things. Now, the High Republic really focuses on there being some Wookiee Jedi around. And I really, really like that. You did get a youngling in the Gathering episode in Clone Wars, I believe Series 6 it was, which I really enjoyed. And uh, no spoilers, but um, I'm fairly certain he's going to be popping up again in some form, shall we say. But aside from that, the High Republic is the central place in the canon where you can find Jedi that are Wookiees. And I really, really like it. And I love how every different author has a different interpretation and a different way of showing how they're speaking. Some of them have them, you know, them just making like a growl noise and then a character just responding to it. But in The Fallen Star especially, the way that Claudia Gray wrote it was quite different to how I've seen it in other parts. And I really like the way she did that. I'm not going to delve into it here because I tackled it all in The Fallen Star book review. So go check that out. It was only released like a few weeks ago. But I just really like how you can have characters that don't speak Galactic Basic, and so us as the reader don't know what they're saying, but it's up to the author to show us what they're saying without just being, you know, translated from blah 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 to this. But yes, Arkov, he speaks in Shriwook, which is one of the several dialects of the Wookiees, but Shriwook, as far as I can tell, is the most common, and that is also the one that Chewbacca speaks. So Lily, throughout this entire book, is just struggling with being a Jedi Knight, trying to kind of find her place, and Arkov is always telling her to watch her perspective, try and think of things in a different way, because she seems to think in a very specific way. And so she's asking Arkov if helping resettle the refugees on Banshee is going to be enough. So these refugees, I believe they were from the planet Takla, as she saw in her vision, and then Banshee's the place that they've moved them to so they can settle, start farming, all those sorts of things. She has a back and forth with Arkov and she repeats back what Arkov says and I've just got it in quote marks here because I thought it was really cool like this whole edge of balance is a really important piece of content especially I think for younger readers like I really enjoyed it but it talks so much about balance you know it's kind of in the name but I really really like the way that it talks about how you know we, there's good and evil in everyone where you know there, there's an example coming up later that I won't spoil which talks about balance and how certain things can cause damage but also be of great use it's a very interesting perspective and I really like what both Shima and Justina have done here but the quote from Arkov is, find balance between caring for those who are suffering and letting ourselves feel that agony. And it's referencing that you need to try and help people and try and be sympathetic, but don't just let yourself feel bad about it the entire time because you won't actually be helpful for anything. So Lily continues to discuss her worries with Arkov, and she wants to help her Padawan be better. And Arkov says to her, well, I want you to be better than I was, and then you're hoping that your Padawan will be better than you were. The kind of point of a master is to make your Padawan better than you were. So that is confirming what I said slightly earlier, which is, yeah, I'm fairly certain that Arkov was her master. So they're in this transport ship and they've got a few civilians with them and they speak to some of the civilians in the, not quite the hold, but like the seating area where they are. There's a farmer there who's got this box of seeds that they want to take to Banshee and they were given it by a friend of theirs. They are quite excited to plant, you know, going to this new world and doing all that planting and stuff is quite an exciting thing. And I, I think, you know, it's trying to show you're excited when you're actually probably quite nervous and quite afraid of things. And it shows that there's a Jedi temple built into a tree on this planet. They land on Banshee and it's a really, really cool bit of imagery. I think the artwork in this is absolutely excellent. And so the ship lands and Lily and Arkov and the civilians get out and then a couple of younglings run up to them. They're very, very excited to speak to them and they're talking about the Valo Fair, which is obviously the central part of the book The Rising Storm. So these two younglings appear and then there's also another Jedi with them who is a Padawan. This Padawan is called Kieran. 
So Kieran is actually Lily's Padawan. He's a young human male, and Lily is also a human, I should have mentioned that as well. Whereas the two younglings that ran up, one of them is once again human, but the other one is a Togruta. Now I'll go into her a little bit more in a bit. So after these younglings run up to greet Lily and Arkov, one of them says, Oh my god, you're back from Hontalos. Now Hontalos is actually first seen in the Star Wars Adventures number 14 from 2020, and it's also mentioned in the Out of the Shadows book as well as Mission to Disaster. Lily's made several supply runs there, and it's in the same system as Banshee, so I don't think they need to use hyperspace, they can just fly a ship there. So after greeting the younglings and her Padawan, Lily heads to the office of the Doctor, who is called Selar. They have a few discussions, and he asks her if she enjoys Banshee, and she said she wanted to protect Banshee, but hasn't really thought about if she enjoys it. And while that's going on, it shows that Arkov is tending to his plants, but notice that one of his plant pots has been knocked over. Later on that day, you've got Lily and Kieran who are meditating. Lily has another vision of destruction similar to in the intro, and then the hilt of a lightsaber flies towards them. Lily catches it, it's not ignited or anything, so she just catches it, and it confirms that it is the Togruta younglings. Now, the youngling is called Vivnia. Now, I said that she was a Togruta. Togruta is the same species as Shark T and Ahsoka Tano. Togrutas are quite frequently associated with having some degree of force connection because they're montrals, which I think are also called headtails and leku, basically the things that come from the top of their head down the side of tentacly things, montrals. They have like a special ability to sort of feel movements in the air to a certain distance around them, so it's quite common for Togruta to be force sensitive. They're quite common across the galaxy, but at this point in the Republic timeline, the Togruta nations are not actually explicitly part of the Republic, and in the book The Rising Storm, the whole Republic Fair part, the Chancellor Lena So is speaking with Togruta representatives trying to get them to join the Republic as their relationship has been building over time but the Republic is still fairly new in the scheme of sort of grand galactic timelines even though in the canon we've barely seen anything prior to the High Republic but obviously in Legends it is hugely, I mean Legends goes on for like tens of thousands of years, I think it goes back to like hundreds of thousands of years Anyway, after Lily catches the lightsaber hilt, she walks over to Vivnia, who's also there with Arkov. Now, Arkov, the Wookiee, wants Lily and Kieran to demonstrate saber combat to Vivnia and also Nima, who is there. Nima is the other youngling who is a human. So Lily pulls out her blades. Now she has two lightsabers and the hilts have circular handguards. Now they're very similar to Japanese samurai swords, katanas, but the sword guard in Japanese is called a tsuba, T-S-U-B-A. And so if you look up tsuba, you will find the handguards which look very similar to this. Lily's lightsabers are very much inspired by katanas and Japanese swords and they look very, very cool. And whenever she pulls them out, she does it in a very, very cool way. So if you fancy it, go check it out. So you've got Lily and Kieran who are fighting, they're doing the lightsaber combat, and there's some very, very interesting panels. The artwork looks amazing, and it's it's one of those things that I would have loved to see this in an actual anime, because the fighting is great, but still kudos to Mizuki who did all the artwork for this, because it works so well and it feels very intense. And while that's going on, Arkov is talking to the younglings, and he's asking them, what can you see? So there's a bit of back and forth and he's kind of allowing the Togruta youngling Vivnia to talk about like kind of find the answer herself. She gives an answer and he's like kind of that's close give a bit more kind of goes like that for a little while and it's confirmed that the saber can both end a life but also defend it because she's questioning surely if we're defenders why we've got basically laser swords it seems like they could be very dangerous and so he explains it's all about balance. Now this is the comparison I mentioned slightly earlier. The balance they mentioned is like fire and water they can both help 
but also harm. Obviously, fire has warmth and light and can cook things, but also can destroy almost anything, while water is needed by most beings to drink and consume, and also allows you know plant life and animal life to thrive, but also, as people are aware in the real world, if there are big floods or tsunamis or anything like that, that can be as destructive, if not more so, than big fires. So both fire and water have that balance. It's a very, very good comparison of to what lightsabers are, and it's the common theme throughout this entire manga. So while dueling, Lily explains that dueling is like anticipating moves, and they are forms of expression. Someone must be sure of oneself to succeed in it, which is one of the reasons why Vivnia failed, why she her lightsaber hilt flinged off because she wasn't fully in it, she didn't trust herself. So after that sparring session, it then goes to later. Later on, it shows there is a character called Ruru, who is an archivist. Now, Ruru is an Imrusion. Now, Imrusions you would have seen before in the canon. I've mentioned them when I tackle the Crimson Rain comic crossovers as well as the war of the bounty hunters but you would have actually seen her in live action or rather you would have seen an immersion in live action in solo a star wars story you've got on dryden voss's ship there is his concierge who's called Margot. she is an immersion and she was created from concept art of kira when they first thought kira was going to be an alien and then just decided for her to be a human so I've talked about Imrusions before on the podcast, but in brief, they have kind of chalky sort of style skin and almost like cracks. The way I think about it is if you think of like a standard desert, you know, when it's you look at a desert and the floor is so lacking of any moisture, the ground is like cracking and you've got those parts. That is kind of what it's like, but almost with like a chalky hue, almost charcoal-y on top of it. That's the kind of texture of it. And that's how I would describe the skin of an Imrusion. But you will have seen it before, even in passing in a solo style story, but that is the species that Ruru is. So Ruru uses the force to save a civilian falling off a ladder, and then it shows that someone is asking Lily and Kieran to check on someone called Mr. Kuba, who has not tended his farm for a number of days and is acting quite strange. So they go get Mr. Kuba and take him to the doctor. Dr. Sila is unsure. He theorizes it could be trauma, perhaps, of all the recent events, but no one is fully convinced about that. Now, with Kuba acting quite strange, he's not really talking very much. Then he does talk, it's very short and blunt, and he's got a very deadpan expression. And they just like, okay, we're going to have to monitor him to see if he gets any worse, and we'll kind of figure out from there. It's then confirmed that many areas nearby have been uprooted, and people keep hearing strange noises. So Lily and Kieran decide to go and investigate, and they head out into the forest. Before they go, Arkov stops them and says to take both of the younglings as they could learn something, and also Lily could learn something from them. So the four of them head out with Lily's droid, who's called DD. DD looks a little bit like a BD sort of unit droid, which was seen in The Book of Boba Fett, as well as uh, Jedi Fallen Order, the video game. It's kind of similar to that, but it is not exactly the same. It's kind of like that, but with almost like the like a singular head that looks a bit like a light. If you imagine the Pixar lamp from the Pixar movies that jumps on the eye of Pixar, if you imagine that crossing with a BD unit, that's kind of what DD is. So while they're walking to out to the forest and trying to explore, the younglings are asking a lot of questions, which seem to be bothering Lily a little bit. Kieran then asks Lily about the younglings bothering them and things, and Lily just is struggling with younglings a little bit because they ask a lot of questions, they can be kind of annoying, these sorts of things, but mainly she struggles with her own perspective. It's not very flexible, and Arkov has always said that to her throughout her entire life as a Jedi. They then come to a clearing where there's a lot of damaged plants. It looks like something massive has just gone through a whole area. Didi scans the area and shows that there's been something here that is non-native to Banshee. So Lily tells the younglings to go to the temple with Didi and tell Arkov about this while Lily and Kieran go and explore further. 
So as Lily and Kieran are exploring, they find Kuba. But as they get closer to him, they realise something is amiss. He's been turned into some sort of wooden statue. And then they look around and find more corpses that seem to be afflicted with the same thing, which is not something we've seen before in the High Republic or elsewhere in the Star Wars canon. And before they can figure out what to do about this, they see in the distance there's a fire in the village. Then a giant plant emerges, which is one of the Drengir. Seems to be a slightly different version of the Drengir, but it gets confirmed slightly later on why that is. But you guys will know what a Drengir generally looks like, or you know from myself explaining what the Drengir are. But they are an antagonist that came to light in the Into the Dark book by Claudia Gray, which I tackled a little while ago. And they were the central antagonists, as well as the Nile, in the Marvel run of comics written by Kevin Scott, which I've tackled on this show and I've done all of them now. So if you want to find out more about the Drengir specifically and their origins, listen to my review of Into the Dark and then also my episodes on the High Republic comics by Kevin Scott. So the younglings run into Arkov and he tells them to go and help the injured. So while this is going on, Lily and Kieran are fighting this giant Drengir plant. Then Arkov shows up and they all start fighting it, but they're slicing off his tentacles and things, but nothing seems to be working to actually stop the Drengir. It's just seemingly slowing it down a little bit. They then hear a scream from the temple and Arkov realises that they've left the temple unguarded. So he tells Lily and Kieran to go back there. It shows that the younglings are being attacked by yet another Drengir that was hiding in the corner of this temple. And there's quite a few elements in this manga that are quite horror-esque. It's so certain moments, especially the Drengir, that look very, very freaky, which once again, it makes this an even more enjoyable read. So Lily and Kieran return to the temple while Arkov and Nauru are fighting the other Drengir. So the fighting is clearly not working, both from Lily and Kieran's perspective and also from Arkov and Ruru's perspective. So Lily decides to try and draw the Drengir out of the temple by appearing defenseless. So she turns off her lightsaber and just stands there and says a couple things to the Drengir, and then the Drengir tries to go for her. Meanwhile, Arkov manages to split the Drengir that he's fighting in two. It collapses, they think they've beaten it, and then shortly afterwards it starts to regenerate. Meanwhile, Lily and Kieran have managed to draw the Drengir away from the temple and have brought it towards where Arkov and Ruru are. And then they notice that the split in half Drengir is now regenerating and has become two Drengir. So there are now three very large Drengir fighting the four Jedi at the same time. Lily says that she has a plan because the lightsabers clearly are not working. So it then shows a small time jump and they head to the lake that's nearby. Lily has got some barrels filled up with a mysterious liquid, and the Drengir then attack her. She then uses the force to lift the liquid out of the barrels and cover the Drengir in them. And then Kieran has a torch, so a, a, like an old school torch, so a, literally a stick made of wood, and the end of it is on fire. Throws the torch at the Drengir, and they all set on fire, so clearly this liquid was oil in these barrels. All the Drengir are set ablaze, but it's still not quite stopping them. So Lily, Ruru, Arkov, and Kieran all use the force to keep the Drengir stuck in the flames in a sort of force whirlwind. It kind of becomes like a fire tornado. It looks really, really cool. After a little while, the Drengir are then destroyed and reduced to nothing but ash. However, Lily does sense a disturbance on Valo while this is going on although the Drengir have been defeated. About a week later, Stellan Geos then appears on Banshee. He's there, he's checking up on temples in the sector, making sure that the Jedi and whatnot are okay, and he also congratulates Lily on her quick thinking on their dispatch of the Drengir. He says that he's going to be leaving soon, but he's also going to be taking Arkov with him. But he is certain that the temple is going to be safe from the Nile, with Lily, Kieran, Ruru, and the two younglings there. 
Stellan and Lily have like a back and forth and Stellan confirms that Jedi are always learning and people are in general. And Lily's like, well, you, a master on the Jedi Council, you're still learning. And he's like, yeah, there's, if you can't learn, then you're thinking that you're basically perfect, which is not the Jedi way. That's quite arrogant. So be aware that no matter how much you grow as a person, you're always going to make mistakes and that is how you learn. So it then shows that Lily is now training Kieran, Vivnia and Nima. They're training with their lightsabers and things, and she's teaching them about balance and etc. And then it starts to rain, so they head inside. Lily then wakes up from a vision that she had about the Drengir and the Nile. She seems to kind of connect the dots that the Drengir may be attacking due to something to do with the Nile. There's a lot of imagery of Nile masks being wrapped in Drengir vines and whatnot. So she decides that she wants to check the perimeter to see if she can find out if this vision meant anything or they could find any clues, but she seems to not be able to find anything else out. Lily then recalls that Kuba had some strange box of seeds, so they're questioning maybe he planted them, not knowing what they actually were, and they are concerned because clearly it means that there are some Nile on Banshee, that's what made the Drengir grow, because it's become apparent after the Republic Fair and the events of Race to Crash Point Tower, which is the junior novel by Daniel Jose Older, once again, done a review for that, so go check that out. In that, you find out that the Drengir were actually planted by the Nile. They served as a distraction to keep the Jedi occupied while the Nile could go around causing havoc. So clearly, the Jedi are now very concerned that there are Nile on Banshee. So Lily decides she wants to contact Starlight Beacon. And where this manga ends, it shows one final page, and you've got someone called Mr. Zaret, who comes to a Nile, saying that the Jedi are still unaware that he is a Nile, and says he needs to speak with the Eye immediately. And that is where this manga ends. So to clarify, Mr. Zarat, he did pop up like once or twice, but he's quite an inconsequential character. And once again, I just want to give yourselves the general plotline of this manga because there's still loads of great things to consume when reading this. The artwork especially is incredible, but also there's some really interesting dialogue. There's some fun moments. You know, I just want to give yourselves a general overview as what the point of this show is. But I do encourage anyone to check this out, especially if you are a fan of manga or anime. You don't need to consume any other High Republic content, but both volumes of The Edge of Balance are brilliant. Now, I did mention slightly earlier to check the Into the Dark book review that I did if you want to find out more information on the Drengear. I released that on the 2nd of October, 2021, or if you are listening on YouTube, just check out the High Republic playlist or the book reviews playlist, and the episode will be in both of those. So we're still not quite finished with this manga because there is the bonus chapter to tackle. Now the bonus chapter is called the Bancheans, so the people of Banshee, Bancheans. It was written solely by Shima Shinya. The storyboard was done by Mizuki Sakakibara, just like the artwork for the main parts of The Edge of Balance, but the artwork specifically was done by Nezu Usugumo. So it's quite a short chapter and I'll just go through it. It's quite fun. It's set shortly after sitting on Banshee. So it was before Lily left to go to Hontalos to pick up the supplies. So it's set before Lily left and obviously at the start of The Edge of Balance Volume 1, it starts with her coming back from Hontalos. So this is before that. You've got Lily, Kieran, the droid Didi, Nima and Vivnia find a strange hole. So they go and take a look and it goes into this big cave. So they explore. Vivnia is wearing a new headpiece, and it was actually made by Nima, which is quite a cute thing. You get this nice little interaction between them, and Lily says how nice it was, and how creative Nima was, and that their friendship is really strong. It's just quite a cute little moment. It also shows that Vivnia is clearly quite nervous, and Lily says, look, remember your training, and know that you are not alone here, which does help Vivnia somewhat. Nima then trips a wire, which causes her to fall into a pit. Vivnia goes to try and grab Nima, but also trips on a wire, and then lots of little sticks are shot at her. 
Both of them are still uninjured, and Lily looks at these little sticks and says they look like small arrows, it kind of seems. And then a few small creatures appear. They seem to be sentient, but they are small bird creatures. They are probably only about 50 to 70 centimeters tall, maybe a foot or so tall. And they're all wearing like little hoods and things. They look in very stereotypically anime and manga. There's quite a few bits of anime or manga that I've seen, which does have small bird people in them. So it does just look like a big-ish bird, but they have quite a lot of expressions on their face, quite good facial expressions. And so they're clearly sentient and some of them are holding like bows and arrows or little swords. And one of them is holding a torch. They hold this torch right near Nima's face. And in response, Vivnia and Kieran ignite their lightsabers. Lily yells them to turn them off. They're trying to calm down these natives and not cause anyone to get hurt. So Lily then calmly asks them to let Nima go. They don't understand. They try talking back in some sort of peculiar dialect. Maybe it's Banshean. And so Lily's like, well, we need to communicate with them somewhat. So she then uses the force and you see some things around her kind of floating in the air. You can't quite fully see what's happening yet, but the creatures then start to back off. Kieran then questions, what did you do, Master? And she says, well, I used the force to help calm the energy around them. I want to show that we were not predators. And so one of the younglings questions, who are they? What what are they? And Lily says, well, Ruru mentioned that they were creatures who've been here for centuries. They may be the Bancheans. She asks Didi if they have more information. And then they take a look and they can see sort of further down the cave that there's little holes and things. And it shows that these are the homes of the Bancheans. They then notice that there's some dishes and utensils and things around their settlement. Kieran is like, is, are they the goods that have been missing from the settlement? Like, well, these things have been disappearing from? And it seems that, yeah, that's confirmed. So the creatures are the things that are causing some of the complaints of certain things disappearing and whatnot. But Lily's like, well, I'm not sure what we can kind of do here because technically they were here first and we've kind of invaded somewhat. So Lily then suggests to Nima to try and draw in the dirt the location of where they are and they can somehow try and communicate to these little creatures what's going on. It's confirmed that, yes, the Bansheans do actually live here. So they communicate that there are people living over there and that the Bansheans are living here. They then try and communicate with the Bansheans like, why did you steal from us? And the Bansheans are a bit confused. It seems that the Bansheans didn't steal maliciously. They just kind of found them. So they took them. They didn't realize they were owned by someone else. So then Lily says, oh, I think I understand. It seems like they don't really have a concept of ownership. They just think everything on this planet is for everyone to share. And so Lily decides that why don't they set up a space where the community can leave shareable items. So if you want to use something, you can take them from these places. You can borrow them from here and other people can lend things as well. It seems that the Bansheans are somewhat receptive to this and vaguely understand what's going on, but Lily is still not 100% sure. So her and Kieran then discuss it, and Kieran is a little bit sceptical. He's like, are you sure the people will agree to this? Lily's like, it's just going to take some time. We need to try and develop an exchange system, but hopefully we can make sure that everyone lives here peacefully because that's the number one priority. Let's go back to the temple, tell the people about these Bansheans, and then we can kind of go from there. And that's the end of that nice little story, which I thought was very cute and very fun, but it just shows more of when you go to a new world in Star Wars, you don't know what creatures are living there and what one has to do to, you know, communicate with them, but also get along with them. You know, creatures and people who can't speak the same language can still get together in harmony. There's other ways to communicate with each other and people don't have to be hostile. So I really like that story. I like, you know, both elements of the Edge of Balance, the main story itself, but also this little fun bonus story. It adds to the lore of Star Wars a little bit and it leads a little bit more heavily into what manga is often about and the themes that come across in manga. But yeah, it was just really, really fun. 
But that's really the end of the Edge of Balance stuff. So just a few things before the episode ends. So uh, what have we got coming up and what's going on? So next week, I'm either going to do the second volume of Edge of Balance or I'm going to do the final volume of the Poe Dameron comics. My general aim before episode 100, because we're only a couple episodes away from that, and I'm going to I'm planning on doing a Q&A episode for episode 100 and potentially get my friend Ben to be on the show. But, uh, you know, if you have any questions that you want either myself or Ben to answer, then send them to me either via email, stylescomicsincanon at outlook.com or contact me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat or contact Comics in Motion at Comics in Motion P on any social media place. Send us your questions and things and then we'll answer them on air. But I'll send out more specific social media posts when we get closer to that. But what I'm aiming to do is the second volume of Edge of Balance as well as the finale of Poe Dameron and then also I'm hoping to get the Mission to Disaster book review out before episode 100 because that will then mean I've tackled every single piece of High Republic content from phase one aside from Midnight Horizon which I haven't started reading yet and I don't want to delay episodes for that and then also recently it's been announced that some of the small comics that were inside the magazine Star Wars Insider is being released as a trade paperback I believe it's called like Starlight Stories or something along those lines it's not going to be released until I think August September October sort of time so I'm not going to wait until then to release episode 100 but it means my general goal of trying to get all pieces of High Republic content covered on Star Wars Comics and Canon will have come to fruition. So that's generally what you could expect over the next few weeks. Edge of Balance Volume 2, Poe Dameron Volume 5, which is the finale of the Poe Dameron comics by Charles Soule, and then also the Mission to Disaster book review. Then I'll do episode 100, the Q&A episode, and then shortly after that, I will then be able to do the Midnight Horizon book review, and then also continue with the Crimson Rain crossover event. So obviously I tackled the uh, War of the Bounty Hunters crossover event and then last week's episode was the sort of in-between issues between Crimson Rain and War of the Bounty Hunters as well and then we'll kind of go from there plus I'm hoping over the coming weeks there'll then be a few more issues of the Obi-Wan Kenobi comic out which means that I think there's a mini series. I think there's going to be five of those. And then also the Han Solo and Chewbacca series. Hopefully the first arc of that will be finished as well. Plus lots of other bits and pieces of content coming out too, which I will be tackling. In addition to that, I am doing a weekly Kenobi discussion show. So much like we did with Mandalorian back, God, a year and a half ago, I think. And also as we did with the Book of Boba Fett discussion show, I'm doing a weekly discussion show about Kenobi. So I'm releasing those episodes either on Thursdays or on Fridays, depending on when I can record with my guests. I did episodes one and two with Megan. We released that two weeks ago now. Then last week, I did an episode with Megan once again, but then also Chris and Dave and also Rhea Carrigan. So that's a really cool thing. And then once this episode drops, I think the day before this episode drops, there's going to be the episode of Kenobi where we talk about episode four or part four. It will be the third edition of the discussion show of Kenobi. And that's going to be myself as well as Jack from... I'm Jack's Musings and also Pop Gorillas and also Tonya Todd. So loads of fun there with obviously members of the Comics Emotion family and the extended family too. And then I've got a few more guests lined up for the penultimate episode of Kenobi and then the finale. So that's going to be loads of fun there. Also on the feed of Comics Emotion, there's going to be the Ms. Marvel discussion show because Disney are throwing out so much content. They've got Star Wars content coming out at the same time as Marvel content. So Rhea Carrigan is going to be at the helm of the Ms. Marvel show. I believe that Tonya Todd is going to be appearing on the vast majority 
of those Miss Marvel shows as well, kind of as a co-host. And also, I'm going to be appearing on, I think, the penultimate episode of Ms. Marvel. And I believe Megan may or may not be joining us, depending on what timings we can get for recording and what our general life is like. Because at the moment, we are in the midst of moving a house. We have bought a house, which is excellent. We've started redecorating and things, and we are living at the house. We've still got lots of stuff back at the flat. So everything is a bit manic at the moment, as well as, you know, it's going into GCSE season, so exam season. And obviously, Megan is a teacher, so she's even more busy than usual at this time. And so everything's a bit manic at the moment. But that's generally what you can expect from myself on the feed of Comics in Motion. Obviously, you can check out my other show, Genuine Chit Chat. You can follow me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat, while I post photos of comics I've tackled on the show. And then I also post snippets from episodes of Genuine Chit Chat that I do. And myself, Rhea Carrigan, Megan, and Spider Dan have released part one of our Disney discussions. So part two of that will be released on Sunday as well. Very excited to release that. It was loads of fun talking about the sequels that no one asked for. They're director video sequels of Moon. Lan, Lion King, Aladdin, and also Bambi. Bambi was the most peculiar one of all things. And so that's a lot of content coming from myself, as well as the Kenobi discussion show, Genuine Chit Chat, and everything else I'm kind of doing. And you can support the show in a multitude of ways, both Comics in Motion, as in Star Wars Comics in Canon, as well as the feed it's on of Comics in Motion, and also Genuine Chit Chat. You can review them on Spotify. Well, you only have to leave a star review, so please give us five stars on that. You can also leave a review on Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, or any of those sorts of places. And you can also share the show on social media, or you can support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Genuine Chit Chat. For as little that's one pound a month you get access to hours and hours of bonus content so there's afterthoughts that myself and megan do where we talk about tv shows and movies and all kinds of other stuff so really really loads of content to get your teeth into there but also i've been releasing some star wars book reviews on there so i've done some legend stuff that's darth bane darth plagueis and shatterpoint and i'm doing the other darth bane books very soon and i've also released some other book reviews that aren't available anywhere else last shot by daniel jose older dark disciple by christy golden and also a new dawn by john jackson miller so if you are a massive star wars fan and i assume you are if you're listening to this all the way to the end and you want even more content from myself and you also want to support the show please consider going to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat because you'll get one new episode of afterthoughts every week and there's also a huge back catalog of near enough 100 episodes now of afterthoughts you get when you become a supporter you get a link that you can pop into the podcast player of your choice or you can just listen on the patreon app itself and then you should get oceans of new content from myself so really i'm doing three podcasts at the same time and when i'm doing like weekly discussion shows on star wars i'm also doing four actually i'm um, also make sure you check the show notes because there's a link to the patreon first episode we did of the tom hanks rewatch completely for free so you don't even need to pay anything you just get sent to the link and you can listen to our little conversation on tom hanks big there and then also in the show notes there's going to be links to genuine chit chat other stuff that i'm involved with and also some guest spots i've done most recently i've been guesting on star wars timeline to talk about you guessed it star wars stuff and i'm sure myself and ben are going to be talking about a lots of other star wars related things in the near future but that's gonna be enough for me my friends thank you as always for listening right into the very end i appreciate each and every one of you listening and checking out genuine chit chat and the kenobi discussion show and all the other things i'm involved with and so i'll talk to you next week either with poe dameron in the finale or with part two or volume two of the edge of balance but as always my friends thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you first see a black and white film when you haven't seen one it can seem kind of jarring because it feels like something's missing but after a couple of minutes of watching it you kind of forget one perfect example i use of this is the movie clerks by kevin smith it's not a really really old film like citizen kane or anything but 
Kevin Smith basically recorded it at night time, but he used black and white because I think A, it was cheaper, but also B, to try and show it wasn't actually filmed at night because it was in the convenience store he was working at and he was allowed to use it at night time. And so having it in black and white, you could kind of fake it being in the day. Uh, that's a really massive pointless tangent in some ways, but I'm going to keep it in anyway. Uh, so... The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.